0: And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one in the seat in front of you. It's a black hardbound book. Grab that. Open to page 481. That's Philippians chapter 3. We're continuing our series entitled to live as christ a study through the book of philippians it's good to be back with you this morning i've been out of town for a couple of weeks with my family on vacation and joe fry and then mike Hornsby filled in for me it's neat to be able to watch online from vacation that was a pretty cool experience for me i don't get to uh, watch this very often live i watch it usually during the week go back and look at it but i don't usually watch it live that was neat for me little do and to worship with you guys uh, from a few, uh, I guess a few thousand miles away out west. But it was neat to do that, very exciting. We've had an exciting week this last week with VBS. Many of you were involved uh, and taught or maybe your kids uh, were part of or you brought some kids uh, in order to visit and, and to listen and to hear the gospel. We had between our students and our children and our workers and all the people involved, right at 300 people, every night for VBS. We had seven salvations and several kids that are kind of asking questions. And that basically means they were presented with the gospel. They're not quite sure. So they go home and they start asking mom and dad, can we talk more about this? What does it really mean to be a Christian? So that's exciting for us to see, exciting for us to know that that what we're doing up here makes a difference in the lives of these kids. And so they'll go through the new Christians class, be baptized hopefully in the next few weeks. And so we celebrate that with them. And just as VBS ends, Camp Viola starts. This is, (coughs) excuse me, this is Camp Viola week. Uh, We begin this afternoon with groups of kids from our community. We'll do kind of a mini camp for the first two days, then a day off, and then another group comes in and another mini camp the end of the week. And so, (coughs) excuse me. So if you're involved in that, we thank you. Uh, we're excited to to be able to do that and to host that again and, and to uh, present the gospel. You need to understand there are a lot of kids that will come to this camp that have never heard about Jesus. And I know that seems shocking in the Bible Belt, but in uh, reality, there are a lot of kids in our area that don't know Christ, a lot of families that don't treat, teach and preach about Jesus at home, and so we get this chance to share that with them and, and uh, uh, just help them understand what salvation looks like and explain to them what repentance means and to put their faith and trust in Christ. And then the following week, Rock Ridge begins. Yes, thank you. Take a quick break. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay, I'm not sick, I promise. I just got something in my throat. I'm good. Everything's good. So Rockridge starts in a couple of weeks. A lot of people signed up for that. Uh, It's it's Troop County Children's Week. Got a lot of kids that come to Franklin and, again, hear the gospel. It's just so neat to me because we get these three weeks in a row where we get these kids that are are captive audience. They're excited. They want to be here. They want to listen. And we get to share Jesus, man. There's really no better time, in my opinion, than the summer when we get to share with these kids. And so I'm telling you that for a couple of reasons. One, keep you in the loop. I want you to know what's going on, but way more important than that, you need to be praying. You need to be praying these kids that are presented with the gospel will give their hearts and minds to Christ Jesus. That's what we're doing. That's the reason we do all this. All the work and the effort and the resources and the time and the energy, we all do that. So, we can share the gospel with these kids. So, you be praying for them if you would. Pray for the kids that have already received Christ this last week, those that are kind of thinking about it and wondering right now and asking the questions. Pray about Camp Viola this week, pray about Rockridge the week after that. Now, we're continuing our series this morning to live as Christ. We're walking through the book of Philippians. We've been seeing uh, the beauty of Christ, the foundation of Christ, how he is an example for us, how we should live for Jesus as lights of the world, live in community, serving him, loving him. We're going to jump right in this morning now to Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And We're going to walk through this in just a minute, kind of understand what Paul's getting at here. And the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now there's a lot in there. There's a lot of good theology. There's a lot of good teaching. There's a lot of application. I want to start kind of in verse one, and as we do every Sunday, work our way through this text. And the first truth I want you to see, number one, is foundational to everything else Paul's going to say this morning. Truth number one, Paul encourages us to find joy in Christ. Find joy in Christ. In Christ. Now, I could probably stop there. That, that's fundamental for your walk with Jesus. That's fundament, fundamental for your life in Christ. I would challenge and encourage you with the question, are you finding your joy in Christ? Because this is what Paul says in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. Paul says, listen, I'm encouraging you to find joy in the Lord. I'm, re- I'm encouraging you to rejoice. And for me to write about that is no trouble at all. Now, that sounds good. But remember, Paul is writing this from prison. Paul has been beaten, shipwrecked. We've gone through this before. Paul has lived a very difficult life. He's struggled in a lot of ways. He will eventually be executed for his faith. So if there's anybody that kind of has the right to grumble and complain a little bit, it ought to be Paul. But instead of being upset, and instead of being angry, instead of being bitter, Paul says, listen, I want you to rejoice And to write about it's no trouble at all. You say, listen, how is Paul able to find this confidence and this hope and this joy in the middle of difficult situations? He says it right there in verse 3. He talks about the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus so what Paul's doing here basically is he's saying he talks a lot about the flesh and we're gonna walk through that in just a second. Paul's basically saying, listen, you can either find confidence in the flesh, the things of the world, or you can find confidence in Christ. And so Paul wants to draw at this distinction, right? Because as it happened in the first century. It's still happening today, by the way. But you kind of have this choice. You can either trust the things of the world, trust the flesh and your own abilities, or you can trust Christ. Now Paul says, listen, you shouldn't find your faith and your trust and your hope in the things of the world. You shouldn't find your faith and your hope and your trust in the flesh. But Paul has this interesting argument here. He says, listen, if anybody ought to have confidence in the flesh, it ought to be me, right? And here's what he says in verse four. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, listen, we don't don't need to find confidence in the flesh, hope in the things of the world, but if you're thinking that you ought to have confidence in the world, I'm the one that probably ought to have more confidence than you. Like if there's anybody that I don't have confidence in the flesh, it's me. And he goes through this list of things right here. He first kind of talks about religion. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul wants us to understand he's a very religious man. Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Jew, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. But listen, here's the distinction. Don't take your hope and your trust in your religion taken instead in Christ. Now let's make a point of distinction here because this is important. Here's what a lot of people do. They put their trust and their hope in a religion. Now here's what I mean by that. They say, listen, I go to church, uh, I read my Bible occasionally. I attend a Sunday school class about once every uh, 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 every two weeks or maybe uh, three times a month or whatever the number is. Uh, I've even shared my faith in the past occasionally. I think I'm good, right? So they're putting their faith and their hope in their religion. Now, look, I've said this before. I'm going to continue to preach this as long as the Lord allows me. But the number of times you come to church, How often you read your Bible, how much you give, matters nothing when it comes to your salvation. Do you understand that? It does not matter. I don't think I can be any clearer about that. You you can come to church and go to Sunday school and even read your Bible and not be a Christian. Paul says, we can't put our faith and our hope in religion. We've got to put our faith and hope in Christ, And and so at the end of the day for you and your Christianity is about your personal relationship to Jesus. Not how many Bible studies you do over the course of the year. Now look, those things are good. Bible studies are good. Church attendance is good. Prayer, we know those things are good. But if you think those things are going to save you, if you're putting your faith and your hope and trust in those things, Paul says you're mistaken. Put your hope instead in Christ. So religion is not something we ought to put our hope in. The next thing Paul talks about is his education. Look there again at verse five. He says Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now here's what you need to know about the Pharisees. Pharisees were highly educated. They had studied. They had memorized the Old Testament. They had taught it. They knew the law. They understood the law, right? They were extremely educated. Paul says, listen, I'm not putting my hope and my faith and my trust in my education, I'm instead putting it in Christ. Now, we're real good about putting our faith and our trust in our education, aren't we? Like, I'm smart, I've got this degree, I worked really hard, and and praise the Lord that God has given you the ability to do that, right? But if you think that that's your worth or your value or you're placing some hope or trust in your education, Paul says, listen, it's not about that. Again, it's about Christ, If anybody's educated, Paul says it'd be me. I mean, I'm a Pharisee. I've done the studies. I've memorized. I've taught. I understand the law. And yet I'm explaining to you your hope and your faith and your trust goes in Christ. So he's kind of hitting. I love what he does here. He's, He's hitting these ideas that we put our faith in, isn't he? He's hitting these things that we put our trust in, our religion, our education. The, the next one is kind of the work ethic. Verse 6, he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Right? You, you may not know this about Paul, but before he accepted Christ as his Savior, he persecuted the church heavily. He abused Christians Like he wanted to destroy the church. He made it his life's goal to destroy the church. And by his own words, he was really good at it. He worked really hard at it. He had a lot of passion and a lot of zeal about his job. But Paul says, listen, it's not about my work ethic. It's not about my job. It's about Christ and so he's kind of drawing this distinction right and this is an application that all just kind of hit us square in the face it's not about the things of the world it's not about your religion or your work ethic or your education it's instead about Christ and so we start asking ourselves these questions like am I placing my worth more in my job or more in Christ do I trust my education and my work ethic or do I trust Jesus Do I believe I can just show up at church and read the Bible occasionally, or do I actually have to put my hope and faith and trust in Christ? Paul says that's a question we ought to be asking ourselves. That's a question we need to answer. Because Paul says, listen, it's very easy to put our faith and our hope and our trust in these things instead of in Christ. Now, If there was a question at this point, you say, I'm not quite sure if Paul were not already crystal clear, he's going to take it a step farther and going to make sure he's going to double down here and make sure we understand exactly what he's getting at. So look at verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul says, first of all, let's, let's find our joy in Christ, not in the flesh, not in the things of the world. And he's gonna double down truth number two. Everything is a loss without Christ. In his words, everything is a loss without Christ. I want you to listen to the words of Paul again. Just so you're crystal clear, Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count not some things, not a few things, everything. Pull pull verse 7 and 8 up if you would please. Let's just look at it. I want to make sure you're seeing this. I want to make sure you see whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed I count, what's the next word there? Everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He, He doesn't mince words here does he? It's pretty clear what Paul's talking about. Everything I had is loss. I'm done with it. In fact, I count it as rubbish. I count it as garbage. The things of the world are nothing to me compared to the surpassing glory of Jesus. And so one of the things we ought to always do when we study God's word is kind of compare our life to it. Like, how am I living my life for Christ? Am I seeing the things of the world as rubbish compared to the things of Christ? To, to Paul, nothing in the world matters, only Jesus. My family, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, had the opportunity to take a vacation for a, a few days, and, and we went out west, and, and Amy's got a college roommate, old college friend that lives out near San Diego, and so we spent some time in San Diego and had the opportunity for a day, we decided to drive up to Los, uh, Los Angeles to see it and experience it, and we thought it'd be fun for her, because it, it was, it was a great day. Uh, But you need to understand, when you get into uh, Los Angeles, we kind of did the start at the coast and work our way east. And so we started at Santa Monica at the pier, worked our way back through kind of UCLA, and then into Beverly Hills and Hollywood and over to the Griffith Observatory, kind of saw everything. But when you roll into Beverly Hills, it's a different world than Troop County, in case you didn't know that. I mean, the houses... I've never seen so many Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Teslas and really fancy cars driving around. I've never seen so many big houses. My kids thought it'd be fun to try to find a couple of celebrity houses, you know, just to drive around and see them. So they found what they thought was Taylor Swift's house. It might or might not have been her house, but the gates and the wall were about as tall as this ceiling, probably 150 feet wide. You couldn't see anything in the house, and there were probably 100 cameras out there, no joke, So I don't know if she lived there or not, but somebody famous lived there, right? I I thought it'd be fun uh, to drive into the Beverly Hills Hilton. Now you got to realize when the camps go on vacation, we rent a minivan. That's just the way we roll, right? There's six of us. We can't get in a small little car. Might as well just own it. We're just going to get a. they gave us a red minivan on top of all that. So we were pretty visible. So we drive through the Beverly Hills Hilton right through the valet parking. And the guy's looking at me. I just waved at him as we drove right on through. I didn't even stop. (laughs) Didn't even stop. But when you're in that kind of a place, I'll be very honest with you, it's hard not to think, I could, I could drive that car. Man, I could drive that, I'd look good driving that Ferrari. Yeah, I, you, know I mean? you know how quickly I could get on visitation in a Ferrari church? How quickly, if you were in need, I could get to your house if I had a Ferrari? Just saying, if you ever wanna bless me with that, right? I'm happy to do that for you. But you see that kind of stuff, you see these houses, and you have to guard, you have to really kind of fight against thinking, man, I really wish I had that. We found a place you could rent these cars. I could have driven a Lamborghini for four hours for (laughs) $1,000. That was the rental price. It's very easy when you're looking at this stuff to kind of get caught up in it if you're not careful. The glamour and the riches and the things of the world. It's very easy to allow ourselves to get caught up in all that and start thinking even, man, it'd be really cool if I had all that. Now listen, I'm not preaching against nice things. Things in and of themselves are not bad. But Paul says we've got to be willing to see those things as rubbish compared to who Jesus is. And I worry that in the Western world, and I have conversations with people on a regular basis about this, I worry that in the Western world especially, we've kind of incorporated this idea of riches and all these things into Christianity. Again, things in and of themselves are not wrong, but Paul time and time again in the New Testament talks about suffering, talks about loss, talks about giving things up for the sake of Christ, And so we've got to be willing to set these things aside. We've got to be willing to say, listen, this stuff is nice, but I want Jesus. I'm willing to say no to these things. I'm willing to put these things aside and instead put my faith and my trust in Christ. You say, did Paul kind of make this up? Where did he get this from? He got it from Jesus. This is the life Jesus lived. In fact, you'll remember Matthew chapter 16. Beginning in verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, Listen, if anyone, that's you, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? That built in, listen now, built into the fabric of Christianity is this idea that I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to suffer if necessary. I'm willing to put other things aside for the sake of Jesus. I'm willing to count everything as a loss. I'm willing to see everything as rubbish. You say, listen, I get it. I see it. It's clear, it's clear in the book of Philippians, it's clear in other parts of the New Testament. You can't really argue against this idea, right? Paul teaches it, Christ teaches it, we see it all through Scripture. The question is, how do we live it? Right? We, we probably understand it, at least intellectually, we understand the idea of setting things aside for the sake of Jesus. How do we live that out, though? How do we practically live out choosing Jesus over the things of the world? How do we practically live out seeing the world as rubbish? I'm going to give you four very quick things that you can do to begin this process, just kind of help you think through it, help you understand how you ought to be living your life. The first one, very simply, is just make a decision to choose Jesus over other things. You just have to make that decision. Right? We, we had the chance. We were in San Diego, and I didn't want to miss the chance to see the Grand Canyon because we were that close, so we drove over to Las Vegas and stayed there for two nights in order to go see the Grand Canyon, and one of the days we had some time, we went into Las Vegas and walked around. I don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas. There's a lot of stuff in Las Vegas. There's a lot of stuff, and you kind of have to make a decision, right? You've got to kind of have your mind made up when you walk into a place like that. I'm just not doing these things. Because if you get in the moment, you're gonna kind of give in to those temptations. And so you just kind of make this decision. This is what I've chosen to do with my life. Right now, students, right, college kids, high school, even down to middle school, this is just a kind of a side note, but this idea of choosing Christ, you need to now make a decision. Now you talk about dating and physical stuff in a relationship. We all understand how that works and what happens there. You need to make a decision now of what you're going to do and not do. You understand that? You need to choose purity now because if you wait till the moment, you're not going to choose it. Do you understand that? Parents, am I right? Right? We get that. We need to make that choice now. We've just got to choose. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to follow Christ. I'm going to choose to live for him. I'm just going to make this conscious decision. This is who I'm going to be. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So if you want to kind of see the world as rubbish and put Christ first, it really begins with your decision to follow Jesus, to put him first in all things. A second thing you ought to do is make decisions based on his word, not on the opinions of other people or social media or even your own opinions. You understand that? If you're going to live for Christ, you've got to decide this is going to be my guide. Not what Instagram or TikToks, TikTok may say. I said TikToks, listen to me, I'm just so amazed there. TikTok, not what social media says, not what your friends may say, uh, not what some politician on either side of the aisle may say, not even what you personally want to do, what God's word says. I'm just going to make a decision to live based on this. This is going to be my guide. I'm going to take my my principles from God's word and live my life based on his truth. Here's another thing, a third thing you can do. You can find true joy in the things of Jesus. We find joy in a lot of things, don't we? There's a lot of things that bring us joy in life. Are we finding joy in Christ? Do Do we find joy in the simple moments where we can sit down and just read his word in peace and solitude? Do we find joy in the fact that we can pray to the creator of the universe who hears our cries? Do we find joy in understanding that Jesus is at work in our lives? Do we find joy in salvation? Understanding he's offered us through the death of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, eternal life. Do we find joy in those things? Are we mindful of who Jesus is on a regular basis? Are we mindful of trusting him and and finding joy in the things of Christ? And then number four, very simply, count everything as loss, right? Just remember, always remember, this world is temporary. The life that you live right now will one day end. Our days are all numbered. The one thing we all have in common is we will all one day die. And you're going to one day be gone from this earth. And so You think about, you begin to understand, you begin to process this idea of eternity. You start making decisions based on the eternal, not the temporary. You begin to see things in a different light, don't you? You begin to understand things differently. You begin to see the world as not nearly as important as you used to think it was. Instead, I'm going to look ahead to Jesus. I'm going to look ahead to that day one day and I will spend with him in eternity, right? So we begin to move this process of trusting him more, of understanding him more, finding joy in Christ. We're loving him, we're, we're living for him, we're counting things in the world as loss. Now let's look again at the final few verses as we wind this thing down this morning. Paul's talking about uh, uh, living for him and the flesh compared to Christ, and he says again in verse seven, but whatever were gains to me, But whatever were gains that I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Listen, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Here's truth number three. We need to understand very simply, there is power in the resurrection of Christ. There is power in the resurrection of Christ. Christ. Can we pull up verses 10 and 11? I want to see that real quick. I want you to to understand this and see it. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, watch. Now, watch. This is crucial for us. And share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul talks about this power of the resurrection. Paul talks about the power of what the Lord did when he raised Jesus from the dead. And we see this in other places, right? Paul talks about this in Acts chapter three. He says, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, that's Barabbas, to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, that's Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. Now, Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter two again. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he who worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly Places right. God demonstrated his power when he raised Christ from the dead. Now I fear, I fear that far too many Christians have kind of gotten over that. Right? We've heard so many times about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We know the story of the Gospels. We know the story of the empty tomb. I, I fear that far too many of us have kind of gotten over that. We, we need to rewind a little bit. And maybe camp out on this idea of the resurrection a little bit more and remember exactly what the Lord accomplished and exactly what that means for the world and exactly what that means for us in our personal salvation. Right, we begin to think about the power that the Lord demonstrated in raising Christ from that. I've said this before and we will continue to say it. But if the Lord can raise, now listen, if the Lord can raise Jesus from the dead, don't you think he's got the power to work in your life? Of course he does. Of course he does. Don't you think he's got the power to work in your marriage? Of course. Don't you think he's got the the, the power to work in your children's life? Of course. Don't you think he's got the power to work in the life of that person you've been praying for at work that's not a believer? Of course. we, We miss that sometimes. I think we forget that we serve the creator of the universe. Right, we saw the mountains a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about the Lord driving down the road, talking about God creating. And I just reminded our kids, God created everything when he spoke it. He didn't even have to physically do anything. I think about making something, a hammer and nail and saw and glue and whatever. He just spoke it into existence. The power of God working in our lives, the power of the resurrection. Paul says, listen, we need to be mindful of this. We need to remember this. We need to understand this and we need to find great hope in this, that the Lord can work in these difficult situations that we struggle with, that the Lord is at work in our lives, that the Lord can accomplish things that we can't accomplish on our own. Did you know that? Like God can call you to do something that you'd never be able to do on your own, but through his power, you can do it. Think about what the disciples did. Think about those 12 people and all their fear and suffering holed up in a little room in Jerusalem through the power of the Spirit in the book of Acts. They set about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and set the world on fire. We still talk today about their ministries, all because of the Lord working in their life. Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the words of Christ whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You know, the resurrection does a lot of things. It proves Jesus was who he says he was. It demonstrates the power of the Lord at work in his life and in our lives, but it also gives us a chance of salvation. I know a lot of you have been saved for a number of years, I know a lot of you are growing in your faith, and so maybe this sermon for you was just kind of a reminder of, of differentiating between the things of the world and the things of Christ. Uh, maybe it was a reminder to, to put your hope and your faith in, in Christ instead of the things of the world. Maybe it's just shake you loose a little bit. We all get in ruts, right? Maybe it's just shake you loose a little bit and kind of put you back on the path of trusting Christ. But if you're not a follower of Christ... If you've never given your heart and your soul to Jesus, I'd love to tell you about that today. We're going to have a time of invitation here in just a minute, and our our worship teams are going to come out, and they're going to lead us, and we're going to sing. Of course, this altar is always open for you to pray, but I'll be right down front. If you have a question about something I said, if you want me to pray with you about something, if you want to know about becoming a part of this church, or you want to talk about salvation, I'll be available. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to share with you all that Christ has done and will do for you if you trust him. Now let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, to sing praises to your name, Father. We, we thank you for the opportunity just to learn more from your word, to be challenged in our faith. Father, help this idea to kind of res- resonate in our, in our minds, this idea of setting the world aside for the sake of Jesus To see the world as rubbish compared to the glory of Christ. Help us to live our lives like that, to understand and remember the power of the resurrection, to trust you in all things, do great work in our lives, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.